Hi, this is Lauren Yoshiko. And this is Menle Golakai Agri, and you are dialed into Broccoli Talk. So today, we're going to be talking about how weed and bodies interact. It's kind of what has been maybe the most exciting aspect of, you know, this this slow and steady approach to um, ending, hopefully, prohibition, because we're just able to really dial in the science and dial in the research and just even like experiments that that help us understand exactly how it works. Because I, I want to know. I want to find out. I'm curious. I'm hungry to know how it works. Um, and I think it's really fun that we got a chance to bring in the it girl of, of science and weed. That is Zoe. I am so excited to listen to your conversation with Zoe Sigmund because we're finally going to get some questions answered or at least understand why we don't have them yet. Here we go. Hi, my name is Zoe Sigmund. I'm the science editor at Broccoli Magazine and the program director at Project CBD. I do a lot of talking about cannabis science and how cannabis works in the body, and that's what we're here to talk about today. I'm really curious to know more about how you got into cannabis science. I mean, was there an aha moment for you? Like, why is this so important to you to make sure that this information is getting out there to help educate people? Yeah, I think it's like this cumulative thing. It's it's funny. I feel like cannabis science is sort of like it feels like a, like an hourglass kind of like there's the, all this pressure on one side to understand more. Um, and there's just these little like slowly accumulating grains of information that start to uh, like get together and you can start to sort of see patterns in like where things are going. And so I I mean, I don't know if I necessarily had an aha moment, except that, like, I thought it was absolutely vital that people be aware of the research that's available. And part of that is, like, actually explaining to people what research is and, like, what science is. Because, like, I didn't really know. (laughs) Like, I didn't know what a receptor was. (laughs) I mean, like... Science is magic, man. <laughs> but it's the it's the magic that we can understand or at least like put words to, right? We can observe this and it repeats itself for the most part unless you get really small or really large. It's the magic of the world. And like that's crazy that my science teachers didn't tell me that as a little kid. Like you you tell a little kid that like, "Hey, you can do magic. Look, let's do it. It's called science." Like what and like there's these little there's these moments where you like you get down super far and you can say like oh a cell does this in this way and it's like well why does that cell do that and you can't answer that question because it's like that's what that cell does you know and like there's just this little bit of mystery at the very bottom that's like ah it's just so exciting (laughs) and I think scientists are out there trying to figure out like they're described they're trying to describe the what and the how like better and better and better so that maybe one day we can describe the why. And I don't know. It's a little abstract. <laughs> I really want to dig into the history of cannabis science in general, because I think it's actually fairly new from what I understand. Tell me everything you need to know about that story. 
So let's go back to when the structure of THC was elucidated, which was 1967, I believe it was 1967, by Raphael Machulam. Um, and that was really important because, like, before then they were kind of like, why does weed make us high? I don't know, because it does. Um, and so he isolated this molecule and they were like, oh, this is the reason that we feel high when we smoke weed. And then for a long time, scientists have, like, basically had no idea how THC was causing any of these effects. They were just sort of like, it has something to do with the lipid barrier. Mm. Um, and then there was, like, a resurgence of interest in cannabis, actually, during, I think it was mm, Reagan. It must have been Reagan in the 80s. Um, who wanted to fund all this stuff about how cannabis was bad for us, the war on drugs. And so there was suddenly funding available to study cannabis. And Dr. Alan Hallett's lab started to try and figure out how THC worked. Um, and so one of her students, Will Devane, figured out that there was a receptor on, I believe the first one were um, pork brains, porcine brains. Um, and that that receptor then also was present in humans. Um, and that was in 1988. That article was published in 1990. Um, and then a few years later, they discovered the second endocannabinoid receptor, cannabinoid receptor type 2. And that was in Machulam's lab, I believe. So once they discovered this one receptor, they were like, oh, we wonder if there's anything else. And there was. Um, and basically, after they discovered those receptors, um, they were like, huh, weird. Why do we have receptors in our body that interact with weed? That doesn't make any sense. And then they discovered the endocannabinoids. So they discovered the compounds in our bodies that interact with those receptors um, naturally. And they were like, oh, cool, cool. There's this whole system in our bodies that we had no idea existed until we tried to figure out why weed worked. Huh. It's pretty fascinating. It's, it's, I don't want to say it on air, but it's sort of magical in a sense, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, okay, so this is where my brain goes. Is it, was it the chicken before the egg? Like did, did cannabis appear first and then thus we sort of develop this system? Is it the other way around? I mean, I think it's wishful thinking, but um, I, I sometimes wonder like how that plays a role too. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, science is magic explained, which is super awesome. But in this particular case, the endocannabinoid system for sure came first. So um, there is a family of animals called uh, the chordates, which includes all vertebrates and some invertebrates. Um, and all chordates have aspects of the endocannabinoid system in them. And chordates evolved um, about 135 million years ago. Uh, cannabis evolved about 26 million years ago. Pretend like you are explaining to your auntie how the endocannabinoid system works. Like, why is it our body's best kept secret? Mm, well, I mean, A, it wasn't known about for a really long time. Um, the first evidence we really had that the endocannabinoid system existed was for, in 1988 with the discovery of the first endocannabinoid receptor, CB1, cannabinoid receptor type 1. So we haven't actually known about this system for very long, which is why um, it's not common knowledge. Um, so what it does is it's basically like a giant thermostat in your body, but for every other system. So... Think about like, okay, the circulatory system is responsible for pumping blood throughout the body and like making sure everything is like 
oxygenated and running right, the endocannabinoid system is making sure that every other system in the body is doing what it should be. It like in inflammation, it can have a pro-inflammatory response, which is really important when your body is fighting off infection, or an anti-inflammatory response, which is important when your body is done fighting off infection. Um, so yeah, it's not like a super straightforward answer because it's not a super straightforward system. Why do you think that is so important, especially you know, being as everyone and every animal sort of has this regulator within their bodies? Um, important in what way? I guess important in a sense of, you know, and and this might be another question even, I think a lot of us sort of who have heard about it, even if you haven't, and and you start discovering that we have this system, it almost feels as if it can only work if you are ingesting or consuming weed, right? And so it's like, is is this important? Like, do I need, like, do I need to activate this? (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Um, No. I mean, like, like other systems in your body, like, if you're healthy, your endocannabinoid system will be functioning well. However, if you're unhealthy, that might be a result of your endocannabinoid system not functioning well. So um, in actually most disease states, they've found some sort of dysregulation in our endocannabinoid system, which is super interesting. It, it means that the endocannabinoid system is involved either in the like cause of the disease or in our body's response to the disease and trying to normalize what's going on in our bodies. So can, cannabis or really THC um, activates the endocannabinoid system, but it's not the only thing that activates the endocannabinoid system. The reason that THC activates the endocannabinoid system is because we have these things inside of our bodies called endocannabinoids. Uh, this all gets super confusing terminology-wise because cannabinoids like THC and CBD, phytocannabinoids, cannabinoids from plants, were found first. And so all of the terminology about this system is based on the plant, which is counterintuitive a little. Um, But anyway, we have these little compounds floating around in our body called endocannabinoids. There's a bunch of them. We know a little bit about two of them and almost nothing about way more of them. Um, And they interact with our endocannabinoid system as well. Our body, in its efforts to regulate other systems and normalize and bring our bodies back to like the optimal balance, um, needs some sort of way to activate different cells. And so these compounds will activate those cells and have all these different reactions within the body. An easy-ish way to think about this is like, you know, when you exercise a lot, you can feel kind of like euphoric mm-hmm. for a very short amount of time. <laughs> Uh, That is likely anandamide, which is one of the endocannabinoids found in our body. So this is kind of fascinating to know that we've had these naturally occurring cannabinoids in our bodies that make us feel good, right? So if endocannabinoids come from inside the body and phytocannabinoids come from plants, and it's cool to know that you can have these sort of healthy endocannabinoid systems without even consuming cannabis, what other ways can we actively nourish these systems? Totally. Well, I mean, one of the primary ways is um, actually any sort of technique that reduces stress. So cortisol downregulates or um, sort of reduces the expression of some of the aspects of the endocannabinoid system. And so if you can lower your cortisol levels, you're like making your endocannabinoid system healthier. So that's like yoga or meditation, whatever like habit you can get yourself into to like feel less stressed. Um, And obviously like 
smoking weed is that sort of habit for a lot of people. <laughs> so and that's that's also totally fine. But you don't need to smoke weed in order to manipulate your endocannabinoid system. Um, there's also been some cool um, research, mostly by Dr. John McPartland, about uh, electroacupuncture and um, osteopathy and um, massage. So, and those are all ways that you can sort of like upregulate your endocannabinoid system, help stimulate your endocannabinoid system without using cannabis. We always love when design and humor mix, and Sunday School constantly inspires creativity through the medium of cannabis. They have an apparel line of uniforms for high minds available across the country, even fancy shops like Barney's. Check out their web shop and Instagram at sunday.school, that's S-U-N-D-A-E dot school, and we've got the cheat sheet for 20% off your final exam if you use the code BROCCOLITALKS at checkout. See you after class under the bleachers for a little you-know-what. So, like, what does it mean to be a modern cannabis lover? In our world, it's that perfect mix of design, thoughtfulness, and humor, which is why we're massive fans of UU. UU also just launched NBD CBD, a full-spectrum organic CBD tincture with unique terpene profiles for flavor and effect. The hemp is grown and processed in upstate New York, made by an all-woman team from start to finish. I mean, CBD should be fun too, right? Visit UU online at UU.com. That's Y-E-W-Y-E-W.com. And on Instagram at UU Shop. Okay, so when it comes to cannabis in general, I think we often hear so much about how there isn't enough research, there isn't enough science. But then I look it up and I see that there are a million articles on the Internet about studies that can be really tricky to figure out kind of where we're at and what's real. I've heard that most cannabinoid studies and cannabis studies so far haven't really been done on actual humans. And I want to kind of know where you're at and where you fall in that world and how are you able to absorb all of this information um, or conflicting information. So there's there's two ways to sort of like take that statement, like there isn't enough research. And on one hand, like, yes, there's a ton of research. And on the other hand, there isn't enough research. And it's just sort of like, okay, there is a ton of research. There are all of these like studies that are done in cell plates, like on specific types of cells in jelly or in rodents or dogs or monkeys or whatever, where you can see some things happen happening. But like, like you said, those aren't humans. Like we don't have the human trials, the clinical trials. And when you're talking about translating like the research science into like actually helping people and getting doctors like western doctors to believe that cannabis is a beneficial plant and contains many beneficial compounds you need to show them clinical trials in humans with dosage that have been double blind which means like the researchers and the patients didn't know what they were taking they had a placebo in there and that they saw some improvement over the placebo, like a significant improvement over the placebo. And those are the things, because of prohibition, that are really difficult to do in the United States. And also because cannabis is a super complex plant. It's not so straightforward as being like, all right, here's this one compound that does this one thing in the body for this one disease. It's like, here's this one compound that does 60 things in the body. Hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. 
huh, how do we patent that? <laughs> I mean, what what sort of research and, and um, like, what are scientists doing, I think, coming back to the endocannabinoid system? Like, what areas do you do they think are the most intriguing and promising? What areas do you think are the most intriguing and promising? The sort of general impression that I get when I go to conferences with a bunch of scientists is like we are still trying to understand this system. We're still trying to understand how this plant works and like where it works. And it's sort of funny to go to these conferences about like quote unquote cannabis science because it's just like in what other room do you have geneticists and doctors and research scientists talking about the same thing? You know, it's a huge field. Uh, it sort of depends on what direction you want to take it in. And I think a lot of people are really interested in um, specific diseases and obviously proving or getting some more concrete proof for um, the very basic conditions like pain or anxiety. With all the brands talking about um, what their products do and what are some good, like, what do you think are some good metrics in terms of knowing when the claims um, are true and like what they're go- when they're going too far? Mm, yeah, that's a really complicated question um, legally. <laughs> um, and I'm not a lawyer, but you know I've read the laws, and so basically. Hmm. Let's back up to some legal issues in the United States. So the FDA is the Food and Drug Administration, um, and they basically have two departments. They have a department that regulates food, and that regulates food and supplements, and then a department that regulates drugs, and that's pharmaceutical drugs. Supplements are like basically unregulated in this country, and so they're judging a cannabis brand comes down to what that brand has decided is the best path forward for them in marketing. It is illegal to make any sort of claim health-wise for a supplement. So for example, you could not say that calcium helps prevent osteoporosis. However, you can say calcium helps build stronger bones and it comes down to specificity like if you're talking about a specific condition then it is illegal according to um, dca the the supplement act and unfortunately there there is no regulation currently in place for cannabis or cbd uh, at all except for state level so nationally available brands are doing their best to figure out what is likely going to be the regulatory structure Anyway, all that to say, it's really hard for you to figure out as a consumer what products to use um, because you have no idea if any of their statements have been evaluated by any doctors or researchers or whether or not their products have been tested. So a couple of things to look for as a consumer are like, all right, was your product tested by a third-party certified lab, a state-certified lab, um, to make sure that it has the amounts of CBD in it that it says it has or THC or whatever? Um, does it have pesticides in it? Who grew your cannabis? Was it grown well? Did they grow it organically, regeneratively? It's like the same sorts of questions you would ask about, like, if you eat organic food. Sort of like that. For cannabis, you know, you got to break it down um, and be willing to really sort of do more legwork than I think a lot of consumers want to do, which is totally understandable. It's a lot of work. But that's like really the only way to know whether or not what you're taking is like of quality. And then as far as claims go... Because it's unregulated, people can say whatever they want, which is not to say that the things that they're saying aren't true, but sort of like take everything with a grain of salt and see if they can back up their claims 
with research, ask them for the articles that they based that stuff off of. I've like asked some large science companies to back up blogs that they've written and like they can't. So, you know, it's worth asking. It seems like the, you know, the really good, I don't know, we have the the freedom to really be able to trust our bodies and listen in and really allow that to um, guide us with what what type of gray area we might fall into. I think I think maybe that's like a beneficial thing that I personally have been trying to tell myself too. It's like you you know what your body needs and wants and um, you know, and if something is happening, obviously there are physicians and mm-hmm. and medicine people and healers, you know, there for you to have access to. Totally. And it's I I I feel like there's this like divide in I don't know, maybe the general public about like between herbalism and western medicine and i think like people like to hype up like the fact that like oh western medicine is evil big pharma uh uh and herbalism is like all that or vice versa and it's like well no like you can use herbs to treat lots of things like you have a sore throat drink some slippery elm tea like it feels good you know you want to help expel mucus, drink some mullein. Like these are things that like people have used for a long time. But if you have cancer, maybe talk to someone about, uh, you know, Western pharmaceuticals to, to help you defeat that. And that's like, obviously everyone has their own bodies and can make their own choices, but it's like, I had whooping cough. If I hadn't had antibiotics, I would have died. You know, there's both and. It's real. It's real. And it's important. And it's good to have people like you who who can guide us both in real life and in the internets <laughs> when it comes to those questions and those concerns, you know. Um, I mean, I just I guess I just wanted to to thank you for for giving us the, the time to chat with you and to just crack open a tiny, tiny portion of your very complex brain. Um, but for those of, you know, for people who don't know who you are and who don't know about Project CBD or even that you are the science editor at Broccoli, where can we find you online? Where where are your resources? Yeah. Totally. Well, I'm at Zoe underscore Sigmund. Um, and also, I mean, projectcbd.org. I am... Uh, always forwarded any emails that come my way through any of the contact information on our website. And Anya throws emails my way too. If you email me um, at my Broccoli Magazine address or reach out to Broccoli through their contact information. Um, but yeah, I post on Instagram pretty regularly, more on stories, lots of flowers. Zoe, we're so appreciative that you are out here just sharing your information and your knowledge. And I definitely learned a lot today. Um, I just want to thank you so much for being a part of this. Yeah, me too. Oh, Menle, I'm so excited to be working more closely with you. Thank you so much for having me on. This episode was produced by Anya Charbonneau. Our music is by Giselle Garcia. And our logo design is by Jennifer Wright. Visit Broccoli online at broccolimag.com and on our Instagram at broccoli underscore mag. Thank you so much for listening to the show.